Open your Bibles, if you would, please, to John chapter 20. John chapter 20. The resurrection of Jesus is foundational to the Christian faith. Paul wrote to the Romans in chapter 10, verse 9, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That is to say, for one to become a believer, a Christian, a child of God, one must believe that God raised Jesus from the dead. Earlier in the book of Romans, in chapter 4, verse 25, Paul wrote, He was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. That is to say, the death of Jesus was necessary to pay for our sins, that the reality that our sins have been forgiven and we've been made righteous rests in the reality of the resurrection of Jesus. This is Easter Sunday. And actually, every Sunday is a reminder of the resurrection. But on this Easter Sunday, I want us to consider several things in the form of meditation for Easter. There will be four things that I will mention. The first is, Easter began in darkness. We find this in our text. We hear it in the text. If you look at verse number one, early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been moved from the entrance. Matthew tells us it was at dawn. Mark tells us when the Sabbath was over very early, the first day of the week. And Luke tells us very early in the morning. Several things come to mind when we consider this. First of all, the Jewish way of reckoning time, the day, was different or is different than ours. Their day begins at sunset. So you have evening and then you have morning, such as what we find in creation. Ours technically begins at midnight, goes from midnight to midnight. But in either case, when it is early, it is dark. Early in the day, it is dark. Secondly, the contrast between darkness and light is something that we find throughout the Gospel of John. In chapter 1, the light shines in the darkness but the darkness has not overcome it. In a conversation with Nicodemus, who came to him at night, Jesus said, This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be plainly it may be seen plainly that what he has done has been done through God then in chapter 8 Jesus identifies himself i am the light of the world whoever follows me will not walk in darkness will never walk in darkness but will have the light of life in chapter 13 when we're told about the last supper and Jesus tells them one of you will betray me It is Judas, and we are told that Judas leaves the meal, and it was night. At the arrest of Jesus, recorded in Luke chapter 22, verse 52, Then Jesus said to the chief priests, the officers of the temple guard, and the elders who had come for him, Am I leading a rebellion that you have come with swords and clubs? Every day I was with you in the temple courts, and you did not lay a hand on me. But this is your hour. 
when darkness reigns. And then finally, at his death, it was now about the sixth hour, that is noon, and darkness came over all the or came over the whole land until the ninth hour. For the sun had stopped shining, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. When he had said this, he breathed his last. We're not told explicitly, but one would assume that when Jesus was put in the tomb, it was dark there as well. And at this point, it may seem that in fact darkness has won. Darkness seems to have won the day. It appears to be victorious. Then we are told that Mary Magdalene comes to the grave. It's still dark. Have you ever visited a grave? Have you ever gone to a cemetery? I suppose that you have. And why do we go? To place flowers, to remember the person, to seek some kind of connection, to seek comfort. But have you ever gone at nighttime? Probably not, if for no other reason most cemeteries close their gates uh, when the sun goes down. Mary Magdalene went while it was still dark. Why? We are not told, at least not in John's account. In Luke's account, he records that women went early in the morning on the first day of the week with spices they had prepared, that is, to anoint the body. Mary may have gone before they did. Um, So why she went, we cannot be sure. But we can be sure of one thing. She was not expecting a resurrection. She was not expecting that Jesus had been raised from the dead. If you continue reading in John chapter 2, chapter 20, verse number 2. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb. And we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter, who was behind him, arrived and went into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the burial cloth that had been around Jesus' head. The cloth was folded up by itself, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. But Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked, They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize it was Jesus. Woman, he said, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. Mary was not expecting a resurrection. She was not expecting that Jesus would be raised from the dead. She thought his body had been stolen, had been taken away. Jesus indeed had been raised from the dead. 
began in darkness. But don't think, and I don't want you to think for a moment, that darkness limits the power of God or that of resurrection. If you keep reading in John chapter 20, verse 19, on the evening of the first day of the week, that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Jesus told his disciples before his ascension, all authority, all power in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And that includes darkness. Do you remember what the psalmist wrote in Psalm 139? Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you were there. If I make my bed in the depths, you were there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me, and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for the darkness is as light to you. Easter began in darkness, but Jesus has all authority over the light and over the dark. Light and darkness, Jesus is king. The second thing I would have you consider for meditation is that Jesus really was raised from the dead. It really happened. Paul tells the Corinthians at the beginning of 1 Corinthians 15 that the resurrected Jesus appeared to Peter, then to the twelve. He appeared to more than 500, most of whom are living, though some have fallen asleep. He appeared to James. He appeared to all the apostles. He appeared to Paul. These appearances point to the reality of the resurrection, that Jesus really was raised from the dead. And the Corinthians, if they wanted, they could go and interview these witnesses. I would point out that Paul is not trying to prove the resurrection, that it really happened, the historicity of it. He simply assumes it as a fact. And he seeks to draw out the implications for faith and living. And that's what follows in the verses after that. The resurrection of Jesus is a historically decisive event. World history reached its climax when Jesus was raised from the dead. Now, there are some, there are many who would see Easter, the resurrection, as simply a representative of some abstract idea, sort of like spring. We have winter and then we have spring. Some see it as a metaphor. And I couldn't help but wonder, in the years to come, will your grandchildren, maybe even your children, but your grandchildren, they may ask you, did that really happen? Did a virus, a tiny virus, really bring the world to its knees? Or was it really just a metaphor of some abstract idea, some abstract truth? Even now, we find that people are trying to find the meaning of what's going on. Some see it as nature, trying to teach us a lesson, trying to get our attention. Came across a poem on, online, uh, Corona's Letter to Humanity. 
The earth whispered, but you did not hear. The earth spoke, but you did not listen. The earth screamed, but you turned her off. And so I was born. I was not born to punish you. I was born to awaken you. There are some who say that this is God's judgment on humanity for our wickedness. And I read, God's purpose is being fulfilled in this pandemic. I'm not here to make a judgment either way. The reality is, it's happening. It's not some theoretical, some abstract idea trying to present to us some thought. It really, in fact, is happening. I'm reminded of uh, something from Lord of the Rings. Lady, Lady Galadriel in the Lord of the Rings, um, which Peter Jackson has put in at the prologue to the Fellowship of the Ring. The world is changed. I feel it in the water. I feel it in the earth. I smell it in the air. Much that once was is lost, for none now live who remember it. And some things that should not have been forgotten were lost. History became legend. Legend became myth. We who are alive during this pandemic know this is really happening. It is no mere metaphor. It is no legend or myth. Jesus really was raised from the dead. By the way, if in fact this is just a legend or a myth, it's some metaphor, it's trying to teach us some abstract truth, what does that say for our future? Will there be a resurrection for us? Or is that just a metaphor, an abstract idea? Paul wrote to the Corinthians, But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that, we are found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he did not raise him, if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, you are still in your sins. Then those who also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all men. Jesus did, in fact, he was, in fact, resurrected. God the Father raised him from the dead. The third thing I would have you consider, subject for meditation, is that resurrection requires a body. Many focus on the soul. You know, the spirit lives on, even though the person is gone. This seems to have been the case with the Corinthians. In the Apostles' Creed, which we read at the beginning of our service, toward the end it says, we believe in the resurrection of the body. 1 Corinthians 15 is the chapter in the New Testament about resurrection. And in the final section, Paul deals with the question of the body. I'll read verses 35 to 38. But someone may ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? How foolish. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. When you sow, you do not plant the body that will be but just a seed, perhaps of wheat or of something else. 
But God gives it a body as he has determined, and to each kind of seed he gives its own body. It's worth noting that in the first 34 verses of the chapter, Paul uses the word dead, necros, 11 times. Um, But only three times in the second half. But in the second half, his focus is on the word body. In Greek, the word soma. In verse number 35, there are two questions. And I think the second question is more specific. It's about the first. But the first is, how are the dead raised? What is the power behind the resurrection? And the second is, what, what is a resurrection body? What is the nature of a resurrection body? It seems that the Corinthians believed that resurrection meant the reanimation of a corpse. And the problem, the death of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus is not a problem because he had only been dead for two or three days. Um, And so to reanimate the corpse, yeah, that's special, but it's it's not like a huge deal. But for someone who has been dead for a long time and their body has begun to decompose, has turned to dust, how can such a body be resurrected? Remember, resurrection is key for Paul. Without the resurrection, there is no gospel. The resurrection of Jesus is not merely a doctrinal point to be argued. It is, in fact, the evidence that one day we will be resurrected. So, how is it possible that the dead are raised? If, in fact, we think it's just reanimation, then the idea of someone who's been dead for a long period of time does not seem possible. So we could, in fact, rephrase the question, how is it possible that the dead are raised at all? And Paul says, how foolish. The NIV has toned it down a bit. In the King James, we have, thou fool. And he's not calling them names. It's not saying that they've taken leave of their senses, but rather in the Old Testament sense, the word fool, one who has take, failed to take into account the reality of God. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. This is at the heart of what it means to be a fool, to act, to think, to live without recognizing the reality that God exists. And in this respect, the Corinthians are fools and that they have failed to appreciate that God has the power, verse number 38, to do as he wills, including giving new life or giving the dead a new body, giving it new life. Paul argues from nature. You have to put a seed in the ground, and the seed must die. There must be death before there can be anything else. And when you plant a seed, you're not planting what you hope will come out. If you want a tomato plant, you don't plant a tomato plant, you plant a tomato seed. In the same way, our bodies are put into the ground after we are dead. And one day the Lord Jesus will return and we will be raised from the dead. John In John chapter 12, Jesus tells us, I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, 
it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. The seed is the key. There must be death, and then there will be resurrection. God is the one who causes things to grow. When you plant the seed, how does it grow? It is God who causes it to grow. What are we to think about the resurrection? Are we not foolish if we do not recognize that God who has given us life will one day raise us from the dead? The fourth thing, and as we come to the last matter for meditation, I think we have to admit that sometimes we suspect that you cannot say that you believe in the resurrection if you want to be considered a sophisticated, a cultured, a wise person, an educated person. In fact, many who do believe in the resurrection are embarrassed to admit that they do believe in the resurrection because they don't want to be seen as uncultured or worse, fanatical. I would remind you of what the Sanhedrin thought of Peter and John when they saw the courage of Peter and John, realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men. I would submit to you, we need to think about this, that we must confess that we believe in the resurrection. But what is it that people believe about resurrection? One writer has listed some quotes from sermons uh, on Easter. Let me read them to you. On Easter Day, the world takes a turn for the better. Another one, the resurrection is the divine inspiration for us, giving us strength and courage to emulate Jesus. In their table fellowship after the crucifixion, the heartbroken disciples gradually came to see that Jesus was still with them. Let me read. They gradually came to sense that Jesus was with them. Another quote, the early Christians came to believe that love is stronger than death. The disciples came to believe that Jesus lives forever in the faith of those who trust his message. The focus seemingly tends to indicate that the impulse to believe came from the disciples. In none of the quotes that I've read to you, is God the acting subject? The thing I want you to consider in this last matter for meditation is that God did this. God raised Jesus from the dead. What we hear in the first Easter is quite different than what we hear in many sermons today. The angels announce something completely foreign to human possibility. He is not here. He is risen. This doesn't seem to fit within our framework of thinking. On the road to Emmaus, Cleopas and his wife Mary are walking along unknowingly with Jesus. They didn't know it was Jesus until their eyes were open. That is, their recognition of Jesus was clearly initiated by God. Why is it that God is not seen as the acting agent when we talk about Easter? I think because some, if 
not many, are not confident that God can do something that is outside the realm of human activity. That is, we cannot raise the dead, and therefore God cannot raise the dead. Uh, years ago, the infamous Jesus Seminar had a press conference, and they, they brought a nurse to give testimony that when someone dies, they tend to stay dead. And therefore, Jesus could not have been raised from the dead. It's outside the realm of possibility for us. But on this Easter, let us remember that God did this. Our hope, our faith should be in God who raised Jesus from the dead. One author brilliantly put it this way. We cannot seriously imagine that after watching their master pinned up to die like an insect, an object of utmost contempt and public disgust, the disciples would suddenly be transformed by being reminded that there was always a hope for some sort of life after death. We need to be reminded of Peter's sermon on the day of Pentecost. In Acts chapter 2, verse 24, But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Verse number 32, God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of the fact. And then verse number 36, Therefore let all Israel be assured of this, God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. When it comes to the resurrection of Jesus, we must confess that God raised him from the dead. God can do this. God has done this. God created the world. He sustains the world. Why would we not believe that somehow God could raise someone from the dead. On this Easter Sunday, we should confess that God raised Jesus from the dead. This Easter is unique. We've never experienced something like this before. In some ways, our sense of the death of Jesus, I think, is heightened as we hear of so many dying around the world. And on this Easter Sunday, in the days to come, I would have you consider, think about, meditate on the reality that Easter began in the dark. It didn't stay there, but it began there. That Jesus really was raised from the dead. The resurrection means a body is involved. And God raised Jesus from the grave. And by his grace, one day he will do the same for us. Praise be to God. Let's pray together. Father, after all these years, it seems that our minds still cannot comprehend the reality of the resurrection. How can this happen? But it did happen. Even as Mary went to the tomb in the dark, she saw that the tomb was empty. The body was gone. Because resurrection demands a body, it involves a body. 
We thank you for raising Jesus from the dead. We are grateful for his sacrifice, his death. Equally grateful for you raising him from the dead, proclaiming him both Lord and Christ. He is our hope. He is the one who has brought us life. May we in the days to come think on these things. May we see that Easter is real. It really happened. It's not just about happy thoughts or Easter eggs or Easter bunnies. It's about the reality that Jesus was raised from the dead, the first fruit from the dead. And one day by your grace, you will raise us from the grave as well. Again, we pray for our country, our nation, for the world. Ask that in your grace, you would remove or lessen this pandemic. I pray for each member of this congregation. Keep us in your hand, keep us safe. Help us to trust you. Give us peace. May your spirit and your grace be with us. And I pray this through Jesus and in his name. Amen.